Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Commercial shuttle flights are the worst. Nobody tells you how much people stink in space. But a job's a job and your job is mining asteroids for the Muskerberg Corporation on a low-wage, zero-hour contract. And you can't really complain because every bit you mine goes towards building the future of the human race. The future of... The Goggle. Hello, this is The Goggle, the sonic glossy magazine to the Bugle's audio newspaper for visual world. All of the news, none of the politics. I'm your host, Alice Fraser, and your guest editors for this week's edition of the magazine are Ian Smith. Welcome. Hello. I, I regretted how I said that. <laughs> Hi. We can go back. We can retake it. How would you prefer to have said that? I don't know. It's, I find saying hello, the initial hello on a podcast is quite hard. Yeah. Essentially, it's the putting your hand in front of the, the horse's nose or the dog's nose so that it can, like, sniff it. It's just so mm. that people know that this is the sound of your voice. Oh, OK. Right? Isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. I, I say Ian Smith and then you go, map, and that's how they know that that's the noise that you're going to make from now on. Oh, and So good. they don't get you confused with Eleanor Morton, who makes the other kind of noise. Hello. Oh, that was quite similar to mine. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be an in, like it doesn't need to be an impressive intro. You don't okay. need to come in all guns blazing. Oh, thank God for that! <laughs> but you're nailing just, it. Just, just a low hum. Yeah. <laughs> my voice confirms my identity. Uh, before we begin beating our hands against the drum circle that is this week's top stories, let's have a look at the front cover of this week's magazine. The front cover this week is King Charles honouring BTS at the Korean State Banquet this week, saying that they were Korea's match to the Beatles, uh, which, yes, they are an inconceivably popular band of young men who make music, but I think there are some points of distinction that can be made in both the pros and cons direction. Like, for example, you know, I feel like the Beatles came together in a slightly more organic way and were less sort of farmed from a crop of desperate young hopefuls. And on the other hand, I don't think the Beatles could dance the way BTS can dance on like 12 calories a day. <laughs> the satirical cartoon this week has been censored for hate speech because it failed to contain in a single panel cartoon the entire nuanced and multifaceted evils of every current conflict, political kerfuffle and or social injustice for which the po political cartoon of this week apologises, knowing that apology is and always will be inadequate and promising to learn and grow from this shame to tunity. <laughs> Top stories this week. Ransomware apparently acting for good. Is it good when evil people do possibly good things? One of the most active ransomware groups in the world has uh, reported one of its victims to the US Securities and Exchange Commission uh, in a sort of a, I guess it's blackmail. Um, is the technical term blackmail for this? Mm. Uh, Ian Smith. You've uh, thrown bricks through windows before. Can you unpack this story for us? Yes. I, I, I mean, I guess maybe I'm not taking it as seriously as the company that have had the ransomware delivered to them. 
But I, I just think it's quite funny. Um, it's a funny crime, I think, where my understanding is that they've sort of delivered some kind of computer virus to a company and then they're aware of a new regulation which says if a breach has been made where customer information um, has been breached um, and privacy has kind of um, been broken, you have to report it within four days and they haven't. So then they've reported the company or they threatened to report the company. Um, so it's a bit like stealing a business's smoke alarms and then reporting them to the health and safety officer, um, which I, I think is just good, innocent, fun. I think this is quite fun. Maybe I'm missing some ramifications for this, because at the minute I just think these are some fun little scamps. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I think fun little scamps is a good way to define the people who are potentially stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Part of the job of companies is to keep their customers' data safe. If there is a breach of that data, they are required by law to report that because uh, it makes their customers less safe and their customers have a right to know that. But of course, there's an incentive for them not to do that because they don't want everyone to know that they've been uh, compromised. So these uh, sneaky little thieves want to up the pressure on their victims by reporting them for not reporting the crime, essentially. Uh, Because part of what the hackers get is like the publicity of hacking them, but also it's punishing these people who are not paying them the money that they're blackmailing them for by showing that they can ruin their reputation. So they, uh, they hack them and then they report them. So they don't, they don't pre report them and then hack them. They... No, they hack them and then within the four-day limit, then they report them for not reporting that they've been hacked, mm. essentially. And is this anything to do with the Millennium Bug? <laughs> it, it got us in the end. <laughs> mm. I knew that was going to destroy us all. It's just a matter of time. Well, the year 3000. Well, we can't all deliver to deadline, can we? Mm. All prime crimes involve reporting the crime to the police at some point as part of the heist, I feel, just to add that extra fillip of, like, are they on the side of good or are they on the side of evil? I've enjoyed this particular story because also I imagine all hackers as wearing those wraparound sunglasses and ankle-length black coats, like in the 90s. (laughs) And a a Bluetooth headset. Yeah, whereas I feel like actually in real life... Uh, hackers tend to just have increasingly ergonomic chairs. <laughs> I always assume they're all 12, but like, I just always picture 12-year-old boys, but maybe they're all sophisticated men in in smart suits. I don't know. I think sophisticated men in smart suits are all 12-year-old boys. That's oh, my theory. <laughs> turned it around. 12-year-old boys sitting in a chair that I can't afford. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, making more money than you will ever see in esports in some obscure game that you'll never hear of. It's yeah. The world we live in now. Is it too late for me to pivot career wise? <laughs> no, I think you'd make a great esports champion. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Your ad section now because you can't be what you can't buy. And this section of the show is brought to you by knees. Knees, the elbows of the legs. Knees, a bend in the road where the road is your legs. Knees, put the U in genuflect. Knees, don't tell goats they've put them on backwards. Knees, try some today. 
And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the newest social media platform. No longer do you need to go to the new money tech bro algorithm wankfest to serve up their heady mix of contemptibly half-coherent political takes, jealousy-inducing boastulence, or froth-fingered rants that are clearly directed misinformation. Now bringing you Yentl, a social media platform where a nice old matchmaker lady curates a selection of posts she thinks your mother will like. Yentl, you haven't been doing that well on your own. Let us take it from here. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Extreme Sports, a great way to remind yourself to drink half a glass of water as you sit on the couch. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time for AI news. Uh, This is the news of Sam Altman's firing and now, breaking news, rehiring by the board of directors of OpenAI. So uh, Sam Altman is the CEO of OpenAI. If you need any of the terms defined, OpenAI is one of the big players in the AI space, the genesis of ChatGPT. And uh, CEO Sam Altman is a bajillionaire who thinks extremely highly of himself. Uh, he was fired by the board. He staged an int- incredibly impressive counter coup by mobilizing hundreds of his employees, social media. Uh, he, he included recruiting the original coup leader, the person who had originally tried to get him fired, then came in on his side. And he won the support of all of his investors. He was wooed by Microsoft. Uh, allegedly, two of the board members um, were, the, were the main ones who didn't like him because they were worried that, uh, like Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, he was he was going to deprioritize safety in the pursuit of AI over everything. Um, Eleanor, you believe in AI over everything. Can you unpack this story for us? Uh, I can't, but I've got chat GPT to write it for me. Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> that would have been a funny idea. Um, it's This is quite... Uh, is Machiavellian the, the right phrase uh, for the way this is playing out? Or um, I think it is. Yeah. Do you remember last... last was it this year or last year? The Russian... There was a Russian general who had a coup against Putin and everyone was like, oh, Putin's going down. And then he got uncooed. It feels a bit like that, um, where there's a lot of a lot of politics happening in a, in a but, you know, instead of Russia, it's uh, AI. And uh, I don't know much about Sam Altman, but I don't trust anyone with a computer key in their name. I think that's, uh, that's <laughs> up for debate on how trustworthy he is. Um it does seem weird to me that this, obviously this is a massive story because it's such a, you know, AI is such a valuable thing currently and a big, big thing currently. Um, but it just, it does seem funny to me that all this uh, turmoil and money is uh, going into this whole uh, debacle so that we can all type uh, raccoon dressed as Sherlock Holmes into open AI and see what that looks like or... Uh, <laughs> Or whatever you want to do with it. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I I think I understand it. 
Yeah, it's been really bad for the reputations of two of the board members in particular, Helen Toner and Tasha McCauley, one of whom is married to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, the actor, and both of whom, quite publicly, are subscribers to the recently Sam Bankman-Fried reputation-tanked effective altruist movement, uh, which believes in maximising the good for the most number of people, if by the good you mean having a think tank about shooting ourselves to space. Um, But it started very nicely with sort of mosquito nets for children. Anyway, they were worried that he was uh, doing this maximalist, crypto-utopian, hip-slinging, bullish stuff about AI and not actually prioritising the possibility that AI could destroy the world. I don't know. How badly could it go? I I literally can't imagine a single thing that could go wrong. Why do bitches (laughs) hate progress is what I'm saying. Without progress, we wouldn't have universal suffrage. We wouldn't have depleted uranium shells that give both civilians and the soldiers who use them forms of cancer that have never been seen before. Do you want to not have votes on new cancer, ladies? Come on, back off and let the man cook, is what I'm saying. He was sort of fired for mysterious reasons, and, and people are still not quite sure why, but the the reasons have been put forward as either this safety issue, possibly some accusations of assault or just generally that they didn't like him very much. It always boils down to such boring things like that, doesn't it? Like workplace harassment or uh, people not liking you, but what it looks like from a distance is like some kind of super villain in a volcano lair, but actually maybe he just was a bit annoying at work. Like that's it's not mm. very glamorous. Yeah. I mean, I just am impressed by the like the the reputational jujitsu that's made him have people defending him like he's the little man rather than the man with the wealth of a medium large nation state and boss of both the biggest AI engine and the cryptocurrency world coin, which is a sort of a way to cryptoize the idea of universal basic income uh, to make universal basic income even more imaginary and solve all of the job loss problems that we are in the process of creating with AI. Um, Ian, would you fire Sam Altman and would you hire him back? It's hard to know if you should fire someone when the reason is so vague. Like, at the minute, what I've managed to find is that um, the board accused him of being not not being consistently candid in his communications. Um, which I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means lying or just withholding information. They've said it in a very polite way. And if it does turn out that there's been some kind of workplace harassment, then that, I don't think that's how you're supposed to describe that. <laughs> that he, um, he hasn't been candid in his communications. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just such an odd thing that... So, my understanding is that there's a board of six people and that four of them had voted to get rid of him. Um, but then after they did that, one of the four said, oh, I regret doing that which made it a tie, but um, it had already been decided, which is disappointing because I'd like to know what the tie-break around is in a um, dismissal <laughs> at a big company. They're usually quite fun fun rounds, um, like a kind of team exercise or a tug-of-war or something. Um, but yeah, and then Microsoft... Microsoft seemed to give him a position or seemed to um, hire him or, I guess, threaten to hire him to a point where he would have then have been everyone's boss, including the people who sacked him at one point. But um, it just feels... It, I think this is one of the problems with, like, 24-hour news, that if we'd 
waited a bit, then <laughs> we would know what's happened. If it was just the news at 10 every day, you could go, all oh, right, well, so this guy was threatened to be sacked, um, but it's actually all blown over, and these are the two people who have left. But instead, it's like, breaking news, this is happening. There's been a huge development. I think we just need less news so that we can um, just summarise it once it's happened. Or maybe yes, even if only you, if you waited a, a week, the news finished. would have been Sam Altman not fired. Hmm. And I think with any news story, like, um, yeah, even like big international conflicts, like we're seeing at the minute, I, I'd be quite happy to just not hear about any of it, and then maybe in two years' time, go, oh God, you're not going to believe what's been happening. But it's all sorted now, um, and by sorted, we mean <laughs> um, it's been a huge catastrophe that we've just chosen to keep you unaware of to make you happier i feel like you've got you've got your handles on something there ian i think basically we need to slide frictionlessly towards death and then as we pass through the final gate someone can tell us what happened (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. what he's interested in is agi which is artificial general intelligence which as far as i can tell is just what ai is actually meant to be like but what we now call ai isn't really ai because it's, it's more like a sort of giant smorgasbord of everyone's stuff that we've already created, sort of sicked back out at us. And then he he's sort of... Uh, uh, or OpenAI is, is trying to get to this level of actual AI. Uh, AI. I'm saying AI a lot. Um, and I think... I felt like when they talked about the communications thing, it felt like they, they know that he's got some kind of... They think he's got kind of some kind of big secret, like the, the the code to actual AI, and they're all scared that he's going to use it to, I don't know, like shoot a rocket into space. They're all obsessed with going to, being shot into space, so I say go for it. <laughs> it's because they want to mine the moon. Yeah. Why bother? Why bother? Why Leave bother? the moon. Stop fingering the moon. Cheese already. We don't need more. Um, one of the articles, when it said um, what artificial general intelligence is, it said um, it's basically the idea there will one day be AI tools that will be able to do a number of tasks as well as or better than humans. And I feel like that. That's here, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of things my computer can do. I'd say my computer can do a number of tasks better than me. My fridge can keep food colder than I can, and that's that's been around for years, so... My... My pants can keep my legs warmer than my legs can. Yeah, that's AI, I think. <laughs> you could say AI. You can also hold on to my keys better than my butt crack can. Like, there's so many multifaceted mm. ways in which technology has improved our lives. We really should respect it more. <laughs> they always frame AI like we're going to use it to uh, make our lives easier so we can do lots of fun stuff. But what AI is currently doing is doing all the fun stuff so that we can have to do all the bad tasks, like AI is yeah. writing writing all the art and films. I would love to what, spend my entire day drawing a picture of Elvis as a beaver wearing a top hat. Exactly. While AI did my taxes. Yeah, but for some reason we got it the wrong way around. And now it's time for your reviews. As you know, each week we ask our guest editors to bring in something to review out of five stars. Eleanor, what have you brought in for us this week? Uh, This week I'm reviewing buttons. Uh, I'd like to call them uh, zips for 
um, the more vintage inclined. I think they are versatile, stylish, and they can bring outfits together or completely ruin them, really, depending on how you use the buttons. Um, and I think uh, one of my favourite things is, is just how they hold an outfit together, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, you know, they can be used for lots of different things, and uh, I give them a solid four stars. They're not as... Um, they're not as useful or as uh, direct as Velcro or Zips, but they are just a bit more personable. So I'm a big fan. And you're far less likely to catch your penis in a button. Exactly. You would hope. It's not impossible. <laughs> I, f- I, f- I find meditating on Zips extremely useful because uh, even though I know how they work, I keep having to think about how they work and how incredibly complicated and yet simple and beautiful they are as a piece of technology. Yeah. If I ever think I understand a complex political issue, I'll just look at a zip for a while and be like, no, I'm a f***ing idiot. <laughs> <laughs> buttons, are, buttons are classic. Buttons are timeless. You know, you, we've been using buttons for a long time and I don't think they're going away. So uh, I really want to champion that. Even buttons, though, I think at first, they're pretty magical. You've got to get a thing through a hole that sort of doesn't fit through the hole, but does if you squeeze it a little bit, but that then doesn't easily <laughs> get back through the hole. Otherwise, nothing, it, nothing it would works, be pointless. Yeah. And, and think about all the historical moments that would have been ruined if buttons hadn't been there. Before buttons, I mean, you think about the technologies that we had before buttons, which was the thing where you would get a jar full of nuts and you'd get a monkey to put its hand into the jar and grab the fistful of nuts Mm. and then uh, it would refuse to let go of the nuts and so its hand wouldn't come back out of the jar. That's what buttons used to be. Exactly, yeah. Uh, And that's a lot of monkeys to have in your shirt. Yeah, and who Mm. wants that? I think Henry VIII would have probably been a lot less violent if his trousers kept falling down. (laughs) (laughs) When he was trying to... Condemn his wives to death. I demand you be... Oh, oh God. And then he's just got to pull them back up. (laughs) What were you going to say? It doesn't matter. matter. Uh, Ian, what have you brought in to review for us? So I've sort of written this like um, a review on Amazon. This is a traumatic experience. I I bought some Hellman's tomato sauce um, as opposed to Heinz tomato sauce. Um... So what I wrote was, um, this is a product that doesn't really stand out either way when compared to the leading brand. In fact, I would say the taste is almost exactly the same. However, the shame of having it is enough to affect your mood um, <laughs> repeatedly. The saving of £1.15 was not worth the damage it did to my self-esteem to have bought it. And then you're reminded of the shame every single time you use it, which is frustrating because tomato sauce lasts ages. Um, so in the future I'll be paying more for the same amount of something that tastes exactly the same to avoid how this product makes me feel and I've given it two out of five. <laughs> just just feel humiliated to... Um, it's fair. Yeah, I just look at it, it's like £4.50 for um, a bottle of ketchup, which seems, seems mad. So um, I got the cheaper Hellman's one and then just felt like I, I was putting stuff over it in my basket because I didn't want people to see. I didn't know Hellman's did ketchup and now I feel really stupid. Oh, of course no, they do. You're living in blissful ignorance. Okay. We'll forget you ever said it. Yeah, they're the mayo people. Yeah. Stick to mayo is what um, a lot of people were shouting at me in the supermarket. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I found it to be a horrible experience. I don't know if I'm overreacting, but it's pretty distressing for me. No, no, your your feelings are valid, Ian, uh, particularly in the reviews section. Now it's time for just the tip bats news. Oh. This is the this is the news that bats uh, have been banging without putting it in. Ian, you understand Tetris. Can you unpack this story for us? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is it's one of those stories where um, someone talks about some research they've done and it, it's quite easy to say, why have people been researching that? Um, and I don't know if that's maybe lazy comedically to go, why are, why are we researching that and not these things? But I will repeat... Why are we researching bat sex? Um, <laughs> the fact that there are any diseases still left is the fault of the people who are watching these bats um, making love. Um, it it just feels to me like I can understand if you're researching like the mating rituals of pandas um, because they're not sort of getting it on enough. Um, but bats, I've, there's no shortage of bats. Um, they've just sort of caused a pandemic. I, I don't know why we can't just sort of blissfully go, they're, they're having sex, and however they're doing it, absolutely fine. Let's focus on the, um, if I'm allowed to say this phrase, the non-f***ing animals. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's some horrible sentences in, in this. I didn't enjoy the description of the... Um, uh, the quote, the male's erect penis is enormous and ends with a heart-shaped head that is seven times wider than the female's vagina. I don't like reading that or picturing it. The image I've got in my head, I don't know, it's got a heart shape at the end. So it's quite nice, but it's still not ideal. <laughs> it's not the optimal Valentine's gift. Eleanor, mm. uh, have you been following this bad sex story for a while or is this new Yeah. Thing? I've got an alert on my uh, on my search engine. Um, I think it's just important to remind everyone that this research has proved and shown that uh, sometimes there is such a thing as too big, and that can be detrimental to everyone's enjoyment and uh, reproductive efficiency. Um, what I was picking up from this is that the, the bats come out of it absolutely covered in various fluids. <laughs> I assume they eventually find their way to the place they need to be. Um, but I mean, have you ever seen a, have you ever seen slugs mating? It's that's that. I mean, not that I've I have seen it in my garden. I didn't search it out, but it was happening, and um, that is a, quite similar actually. They but you know they're also hanging upside down. Uh, slugs are hermaphrodites though, so so they each have a, a, a penis that sort of joins together, and um, it's definitely more effective than this. But I I feel like physically uh, it looks pretty similar. Um, but what I what I like is that first of all, um, the research was almost impen- impeded by the fact that um, one of the researchers sent the other one some stuff, and it went in his spam folder because it had the word penis in it, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> it was only saved when uh, when the researchers saw the Latin name for the serotonin bat, um, which is which is classic. But um, saved by Latin, the number exact, of times yeah. I've been saved by Latin. Haven't we all? But um, this sort of reminds me of another story from, I don't know if the Bugle covered it a while ago. Um, people, yeah, like Ian was asking, why do we research these things? And uh, 
I think it's I I think it's almost uh it's almost like why didn't we research it before you know how do why didn't we know how bats have sex you'd assume we would have figured it out by now they've been around for as long as we have maybe longer um but there was an article was it this year or last year it was last year uh about how scientists have only just discovered that female snakes do have clitorises um which uh according to the BBC shatters a long-held assumption that the females didn't have a sexual organ and um, this was all over the news because it was hilarious to think about. But also the fact that basically what happened, uh, which could have happened here as well, is that uh, male researchers were too awkward about all of this to ever do any proper research into where, what the genitals of female snakes are like. And uh, they just left it. They were just, they, you know, they've got whole whole biological anatomy textbooks all about snakes hundreds of years worth of research but they were all like we're not doing that bit that's that's weird we'll just leave that bit we will assume she's got something and then a, a female researcher had to go and do all the dirty work so to speak so mm. i wonder i wonder if this is someone else um looking at the textbooks and going the problem is that our scientists have been too prudish in the past and, and that's how we don't know what we should know it's entirely possible, and it means hundreds of years of having missed the opportunity to call them clitter hisses for snakes. Yeah, you go, you see? Oh, oh my God, it says they have two individual clitor... Sorry, this is this is the snakes. But anyway, I don't know how much we can say clitorises, even, even scientifically. I mean, um, snakes and ladders would have been a much more interesting game had it been invented with the knowledge <laughs> that female snakes had two clitorises. Someone's going to have to update the illustrations at the very least. <laughs> Just... Go and add it. Well, I mean, I, this is the, I, I don't I don't understand the scepticism about this area of science. I think it's groundbreaking. I think it's wonderful. I think it mm. makes me, uh, as a, as a human, feel grateful that we lucked into the version of a horrifying mating yeah. ritual that we have. Uh, you know, it could be it could be way worse. Well, exactly. I mean, do you want to come out of it first of all with not being able to do do the deed, and secondly, covered in absolutely absolutely covered in semen, uh, which I guess you then have to sort of figure out how to put to It's use. a niche. It, yeah, I mean, I assume do. some people are into that, yeah, but uh, <laughs> certainly not if you're trying to have a child. That's very... The fire hose approach. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> One of the researchers uh, has been... Uh, previously, he's been documenting fellatio in fruit bats, um, which is like, that really is a question of... Who decided we needed to know that? Because mm. they want to know about a prize for that research. Uh, I think he won an Ig Nobel Prize, which I think is—is oh. is that not the joke one? I don't know. Oh god, I could be wrong. But or like the one that you get for being um, doing something a bit weird. Oh, yeah, I should have it's... known. You don't get it for bat blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless the bats are running the the prize, and then they're like, that's the top. That's the top one. Yeah, but they're the judges. That's the kind of <laughs> the bribe. How come this guy's won the Nobel Prize this year? And why are all the judges bats? And why do they all look so happy? <laughs> uh, Hollywood news now, and this is the news that uh, Darren Aronofsky, uh, the Hollywood auteur known for sort of unsettling and mind-bending movies is to direct an Elon Musk biopic telling the story of presumably Elon Musk's rise and rise uh, from mere from mere merely wealthy young man to extremely uh, powerful 
bajillionaire. Uh, Eleanor, you're you're in Hollywood. Can you unpack this story for us? I am, and I am a billionaire. Uh, well, what Darren did there is he he looked at all the films he's made about you know disturbing individuals and and uh, weird situations, and he he thought, why bother writing? Being a driven mad by the power of maths and yeah. And, you know, having being weird to look at. And he thought, why bother writing a script when I've got... It's all just laid out in front of me. So we're having yet another billionaire biopic. Um, I assume it will start with Elon in the in the nursery, surrounded by emeralds. And, you know, it's a tough start in life. How's he going to get through that? He goes to America. Um, I mean, for the sake of accuracy, it was only a share in it. Sorry, then, yes. No, I do apologise. I do apologise. Uh, uh, it's, it's tough, tough life, tough life. Maybe, so maybe it's more diamonds and sapphires in the nursery. I don't know, but um, but yeah, uh, I I think it's interesting when people choose to do uh, biopics about uh, people who are still alive, because um, you know the whole point is that you're covering their life, and normally that does eventually end uh, with you know some semblance that there's been a narrative there. Uh, whereas this, I don't know when he's going to make the film, but. I don't see Elon leaving us anytime soon. Um, and I wonder if he'll have to do a sequel, Elon 2, to Elon 2 Furious, where he sort of catches everyone up. Like, obviously, by the end like by the end of his life, I assume he will have procreated, like, at least 20 more times. So you've got to add that in. Bunch of stuff. Well, this is this is the problem that Ian was saying about the 24-hour news cycle. We're still in the midst of it. We, we need to wait until the end to, to figure it out. And, I mean... Elon is known for appearing on screen in various things. He, he quite likes a cameo. So, will there be a cameo of Elon Musk in the Elon Musk biopic? Oh, in question. Like a um, a meta. Oh, he wouldn't like a meta cameo, would he? No, that's not good. <laughs> it's not a good idea. But if they do, if they do another film when he dies, there's going to have to be a scene where the actor playing Elon Musk attends the premiere of the film about him <laughs> where the actor playing the actor playing Elon Musk is also at the premiere watching it's going himself to be like a Spider-Man meme yeah the tricky thing about it is also the casting. Casting is so political. Mm. If they're casting, they can cast somebody who uh, is more beautiful than you but not very good at acting or they can cast someone who's uh, very good at acting but uh, hideous to behold. And, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel complimented that they've, they've cast somebody who doesn't look like you at all but is a very excellent actor? Who are they going to cast? It's all, you know, extremely valid are they going to cast timothy chalamet or are they going to cast paul dano <laughs> these are the questions that we need to know there was a headline um that i saw like on the side of this article about timothy chalamet um that made me laugh because the headline was timothy chalamet if you would have told me when i was 12 that i'd be starring in wonka i would have said you're lying and I just can't imagine a situation where someone goes up to a 12-year-old Timothy Chalamet and says, um, you're going to be starring in Wonka. And this 12-year-old is just like, you're lying. You're lying about that. And I think he was a child actor. Wasn't he with Chalamet? I think, is he not still a child actor? Yeah. But, but if he was acting when he was 12, he might be like, yeah, yeah, I guess they might. I could imagine them doing some kind of sequel or prequel. Maybe he just didn't believe that we would have run out of ideas that quickly. And yeah. that 
they're already doing a, a Wonka biopic. Yeah. I think, um, what's his name? Ashton Kutcher should play him. I think he should play all the billionaires. Uh, he's already done jobs. and then Yeah, like still... how Kenneth Branagh did, did all the leads in Shakespeare. Exactly, mm. yeah. And then they'll have some kind of like uh, computer-generated standoff where they, they all are all in one big film, like Avengers Assemble, but billionaires. Uh. Mm. The, the businessman <laughs> origin story I want to see is the, the person who invented the robotic cobbler men <laughs> that go in the front of um, <laughs> little old cobbler's that... windows. Yeah, yeah. because... When they first come up with that idea, like, and they got all the cobblers to be like, yeah, let's all have a robot hammering man in the front. The amount of money they would have made very quickly would have been astronomical because it must be hundreds and hundreds of cobblers. But now the business model of that company is walking around the UK to try and find a cobbler that doesn't have one and then saying, would you like a little robot man? who's like hammering a cobbler shoe to put in your window and trying to convince them that that is a useful thing to do. It's also such an odd mix of past and present and future because the nature of the work that the cobbler man robot is doing is work that is made redundant by the existence of robots. That's true, yeah. Yeah. That's true. What confusing thing is happening there. A robot is doing a job that a robot has taken off the thing that the robot is depicting. Yeah, and now you can't even just have a man pretending to put a shoe together in the shop window because his job's been replaced by a robot too. Yeah, <laughs> and with electricity costs soaring, it might be cheaper just to hire like a younger boy, like instead of a paper round who just <laughs> dresses up as a cobbler and just does that movement constantly in the window. <laughs> what scenes would you like to see in an Elon Musk biopic? Uh, the registry uh, of the birth of the child whose name no one can pronounce. Just a, like a like a sketch, basically, where the where the woman's like at the desk is like, "You want a name at what?" And that's that's ten, that's ten minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like the childhood. It's not the thing about biopics is you know you think of some of the great ones, uh, the Ray Charles one, um, Nina Simone. Anyone who's come from adversity, they've got a gift. They fight through. They, you know, Edith Piaf. There's a bit of tragedy there. It's. I mean, even the best and most interesting businessmen. There's not a lot of, for me anyway, on the screen. There's not a lot to see when it comes to like, uh, I become a businessman, um, and even less so if you've already started with, as we've said, quite a bit of money. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't like to see any of it on screen. Is the honest answer. <laughs> I don't think that's going to stop it. I mean, it is Darren Aronofsky, so I'm hoping that it just goes into the imaginative realms of, uh, I think we start on Mars and go work backwards from oh, there. Oh, yeah, that's mm. good. Yeah, no, I would watch that, actually. I'd like to see Brendan Fraser in a fat suit playing him as a baby. Um, <laughs> so it's all actors in fat suits, but then all the scenery has been made huge. <laughs> So that they look baby size, and all the adults are played by like you only see the adults from the foot to the like knee, and it's just elephants that have had their legs painted pink and big shoes put on them, and their dialogue is like dubbed in. Um, yeah, that's what I would like to see. You want to see live action boss baby, yeah, which I believe is based on the life of Elon Musk, so 
Yeah. It's already a remake. <laughs> That's what I want to see. I want to see him playing in a nursery and like asking a kid for like a slinky or something and the kid refusing to give it to him and then it cutting immediately to the next day when the nursery has changed its name to like X and there's no <laughs> other kids in the nursery and Elon Musk has got the slinky and somehow the slinky is like a bit more racist now um, <laughs> and all the staff are just not allowed to leave because it's just become a part of their lives um, and they want to leave but they can't I mean, I'd watch that movie and that brings us to the end of this week's episode of The Gargle. I'm flipping through the ad section at the back. Eleanor, have you got anything to plug? Uh, you can find me on all the social medias and uh, what is coming up. I am going to be in Leicester in February doing 8 out of 10 Celts, which is a uh, game show where uh, a Scottish woman, a Welsh woman and a Northern Irish woman battle out to be Queen of the Celts. Um... And also, I will be at the Glasgow Comedy Festival. Tickets for that are about to go on sale, I think. So, yeah, just Google it, guys. Check that out. And Ian, have you got anything to plug? Um, Yeah, I'm going to be going on tour um, next year. So I'm doing a couple of dates again at Soho Theatre and then going around the UK kind of February to April. Um, And, yeah, I guess the best place to find that out is on Instagram, because my website is very poorly maintained and Twitter has become a hellhole. So, um, yeah, Instagram and Linktree and all the link-in-bio type stuff is the best way to find out. If you want to support the Gargle and the Bugle-verse family of podcasts, you can become a voluntary subscriber if you go to thebuglepodcast.com. You can get things like a vinyl episode of The Bugle and a monthly Ask Andy podcast, which is an advice podcast with Andy Zaltzman. You can find me online at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. It's where all of my things are. I'm also on the social medias. This is a Bugle podcast and Alice Fraser production. Your editor is Ped Hunter. Your producer is Chris Skinner. I'll talk to you again next week. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, Catharsis, Tiny Revolutions, Top Stories and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.